This Champions League title winning episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the leaders in men's below the waist grooming. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code Managing Madrid at manscaped.com. And there is no doubt, no doubt at all in anyone's mind who won this week's Manscaped Man of the Match award. It is Thibaut freaking Courtois, an absolutely legendary performance. I said it on Twitter. This surpassed what Iker Casillas did in 2002 versus Leverkusen, which was a legendary performance on its own off the bench. What Courtois did last night in recording this part on Sunday morning was unbelievable. I've never seen a goalkeeping performance like it with the stakes this high. So congrats Thibaut Courtois for winning the Manscaped Man of the Match award. And again, manscaped.com, use code MANAGINGMADRID for 20% off and free shipping. Coming up is an episode where Om and Matt broke down the win over Liverpool in the Champions League final in all of its detail and all the little wrinkles, everything that went on in that game, they broke it down to a science. So enjoy it. Eduardo and I were partying in Paris last night, so you're not going to get anything from us. But I think the plan is that me and him are going to meet up for a croissant and a coffee and record something El Dia Después, which will come up Sunday night or something like that. If we can get together, that's the plan. Enjoy this episode, and we're going to set it up with Ray Hudson and Derek Ray, and we'll see you inside. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. So Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1 some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website frustrate podcast as well of course Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast we are high on emotions right now still can't quite believe it We've won our 14th, our 14th Champions League title. I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I'm at a loss for words. Just when you think this, this team can't go and do it again, they do it again. Thibaut Courtois, unbelievable. Man of the match, like played out of his skin. There, there's so many countless performances. Carvajal, Alaba, Cruz, Modric. I mean, that they just defended for their lives. Casemiro, it was a game where Liverpool outshot us 24 to 2 yet we win one nothing. This is what Real Madrid does. This is what we do. This is our competition. We win it. We when we play in finals, we win those finals. I'm still just so hyped up. I can't believe it. I've got Om Arvin here joining me and I think we're just we're just high off these emotions. Om, how are you feeling? How are you feeling right now? I'm feeling pretty damn good. And, you know, I, I was feeling pretty damn good going up in, in the run up to this final, which is just weird for me to say, because usually, you know, not to say I've never been confident before. I think I had good feelings going into the 2017 final, but I don't know, man, with this one, it was just like, I, 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 I understood exactly, you know, how Liverpool play. I understood exactly how good they were. And, and look, this might be the best Liverpool that's ever played under Klopp and they haven't won the Champions League or the Premier League, but I, I knew we were going to suffer. I knew Liverpool for large stretches would be the better team, blah, blah, blah. But I just got the sense, right? Like, there's no way we can't win this. Like, you know, however, like, irrational or whatever that may be, I was just like, 
we made it here after everything we've been through, after all those comebacks, like it's just going to happen. Maybe it was because of what Benzema said, you know, we're going to do something magical, which is win and like that type of stuff that I really bought into or what, but I just really came into this one. Like, yeah, I mean, we, we got this. It's, it's going to be a victory. Maybe when there was the delay, which we'll talk about later, I got nerves, maybe started to creep in, but that was about it. The rest of the entire time. I don't know. I was having a good time. I, I, I don't know if I've ever been that loose in a final before. Yeah, it was kind of the same for me. I don't know how to explain it. It really is this Real Madrid ethos. Like there is something to it. I just going into the, even in this morning, like I felt, I just felt good about the game and I felt good about this stage. And we've, I feel like the players maybe leading up to it, you know how Valdebebas is like, it's, it's constantly showing highlight reels of all the finals prior to uh, the team eventually traveling to Paris. And I feel like that maybe that, that lives with the players, like that's etched in their mind. And so they have visions of maybe their moment being showed on Valdebebas in Valdebebas for the next Champions League final, for the next generation that comes through. Guys like Vinicius, Valverde, Courtois, they want to put their mark on this club, and they sure as hell did today. And I just feel like when you're surrounded by it constantly and you feel like you just feel that energy, there's something about it. There's something about this club in this competition. And you can other other fans of other other teams and folks who just aren't aware of what Real Madrid is and and what this club does may never understand it. They may never, never will. And that's probably why pundits, English pundits, especially just write us off time and time again. But this is, this is what this club does. And it's just, it's so special. It's so special. And I'm really happy, really, really happy for guys like Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo, Eder Militao, Fede Valverde, Mendy, Courtois. This is their first Champions League. And they really, Kamavinga, I want to mention him as well. This is their first Champions League. And they really, really put their stamp on it. Like they, they're a part of this team. And this wasn't just hanging on the back of the former legends who, who did it with Cristiano Ronaldo. No, these are, this is a new generation as well coming through and they got their first, they got their first champions league. And then obviously I'm equally as happy for guys like Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, Casemiro, Marcelo, others who, who are winning their fifth champions league. That's just insane to think about their fifth, Champions League and this time they did it without Cristiano Ronaldo and they beat the hardest hardest competition with the most incredible comebacks this has just been a fairy tale storybook Champions League run and I, I I don't think we'll ever we'll ever forget it like for me this this definitely tops all the others maybe not the decima just because of how much it meant but this Champions League run was was wild and the memories that will come with it and stay with it will just will be unforgettable, unforgettable. I, I'm just still everyone could probably hear it in my voice. I'm still on a high. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be real with you guys. Like there wasn't that much time Matt and I spent pouring over the film. I mean, I did go back mainly looking at the primary chances and, and kind of noting what went down. But like the majority of our time. And afterwards, well, I, I don't know exactly what Matt was doing, but speaking for myself, because I knew I had to kind of, you know, sit here and, and prepare for the podcast, like a good hour, hour and a half was just like enjoying the memes, looking at the celebrations, just kind of soaking it all in. You know, I, I'm sure we'll find, you know, 
some nitty gritty things to talk about, but like, this is the vibes podcast for sure. You got, um, you got a, you got to unleash kind of on your boy here, Vinicius Jr. You, <laughs> you've called it from the start, even with his growing pains, you saw it, you saw what he was capable of. And I don't know, for, for me, this felt like 21 years old. It was his moment to score. And for me, I feel like his career has been, you, you see the parallel, obviously a little bit different, but having started with the club so young and done so well, I see the parallels to Raul. And he obviously has notched as many appearances as, uh, or p- potentially more than Raul at, um, I think it was 20 or 21 years old, over a hundred appearances. So I-, I see that parallel and I'm just, I'm so happy for Vinny. And I know I just want to give you your moment to talk about him because he deserves it. Oh man. Like I, after I do Vinny, we'll get to Courtois because you had, you had the best tweet of, I think the entire final leading up to it. Um, but man, Vinny, like it, it just feels like so vindicating, man. Like, obviously I would have been happy regardless had Real Madrid won, but to have the only goal and the winning goal to be Vinicius Jr. scoring it, like, it just feels like, you know, I got one thing right, you know, to stick with this guy the entire time, not just out of like random reasons, right? For me, that's, that's not the point. It's like, am I seeing something that makes sense? And there's, there a reason for me to stick with someone, you know, over, over the long term when maybe things aren't working out at the beginning. And among all the finishing issues, among all the decision-making issues, the mental crises he was having as the years progressed from 2020 into 2021, which we all pointed out, we all critiqued, we all worried over, but I just kept, you know, looking back and looking at the big picture and it's like, what I see here is a player who can just magic an entire team into the final third, destabilize defenses all on his own, who is building this synergy with Benzema, even though there may have been, you know, certain issues between them, you know, from time to time, we all know the conversation between Benzema and Mendy by now about, you know, don't pass him the ball. He's playing against us. But despite that, right, like his first explosion onto the scene under, you know, Solari, like what I first noticed was like, my God, Benzema's coming alive again because he has a guy to play with off the left. So there was, there was all of that. And then, you know, his just ability after all of that to just bring you into the box and make something happen and create a good shot on goal, whether for himself or for others, it was like, look, all we're betting on here is for him to just get his head right. And he's a kid, right? We're just betting on a kid as he grows, as he matures under some of the most experienced players in the world to just get his head right and just put the final stuff together. And he's a totally different player. And I just kept stepping back and looking at it. And I didn't know when it was going to happen. You know, I thought it was going to happen next season, not this season, but it just clicked, man. Like he put in the work, he sat down with the sports psychologist. He just got himself right. He took responsibility, you know, as a, as a young, young player saying, I need to be a key attacker for this team. And he worked his way back into the side. Remember, Eden Hazard was starting over him in the beginning of the season. And Vinny just within five or six games, just clawed his way into the starting role and never looked back. And he is just absolutely one of the best players in the world right now. I mean, he's producing at just outside the Ballon d'Or level. That's crazy. Like he across all competitions, 22 goals, 16 assists, 
which is 0.8 goals plus assists per 90, roughly across all competitions. That's just outside that, you know, like 0.91 goal assists per 90 that like Benzema Lewandowski is at. Like that is wild, but that's the thing, right? Vinny just didn't upgrade that way as the, you know, the calmness came into him. He was able to upgrade the rest of his game, right? Because decision-making, you know, and, and, you know, having a good state of mind is going to expand to all the other parts of your game. And he went from being someone who had so much potential and all of these individualistic actions he was doing to just, in my opinion, being the most destabilizing, you know, individual force in the world right now, shot creating actions. And this is compared to the top five European leagues, fifth progressive carries sixth progressive distance. And that's, that's carrying he's second only Imeric Laporte is ahead of him, right? As center back. So like as an attacker, when it comes to the progressive distance with which he carries the ball, which is moving the ball towards goal, there's literally no one in the world who did it more than him. His carries into the final third puts him sixth. His carries into the penalty area puts him second. And in successful dribbles, and this is all per 90, he's ninth. So top 10 in all of these categories with dribbling and carrying and when you compare all the other players who, who who's against him, right? Sometimes Neymar will pop up, sometimes Messi will pop up, but they're not as high in all of these categories, in every single one of these categories. I think Messi might be the only one, which is just in, like if he's being compared, you know, to Messi in these actions, like that, that's pretty good, right? So that that's the thing that just makes me like really believe like my this is a world-class level, right? Because there's the production, but then also everything he's doing outside of that right? It's just, there's really no other attacker that has everything together plus a solid defensive attitude, right? Because I think you, you'd say maybe a similar comp right now would be Mbappe in terms of the production, in terms of, you know, the dribbling and stuff like that, even though Vinny is actually ahead of Mbappe in most of those categories. But Vinny averaged more pressures than Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe combined. Like, this is just the unique, unique talent we have with us right now, who made a statement on the biggest stage, you know, in club football. And, and the other thing is like, I think he created the most chances out of anyone in the champions league. I mean, he had six assists, which I don't know if that was tournament leading or what, but my God, man, what a special, special player we have. And I knew he had these heights, but I'd be lying if I thought he'd reach it this quickly. And um, in no way would I have imagined how satisfying it would be to, to, to see his, his season progress like this and, and cap it off in the way that it happened. Yeah, and I, honestly, I think this goal and this moment really encapsulated his season. And it it's the sweetest revenge for him after kind of everything he went through with a lot of the fan base. Like, he was a meme at one point, and a lot of the fan base, um, his own fan base, making fun of him for his inability to, to put away chances. And now only a season later after some of that, some of that feedback, does he go on to score the game winning goal in the UEFA champions league final to earn Real Madrid, their 14th title. Like that's the sweetest revenge. And he always, he's always gone on to do his talking on the pitch. And I think what I love about Vinny as well is that after the match, the first thing he says is I want to stay here. I want to make history like Marcelo, like Benzema, like Modric. I want to stay here and win and continue to win even just after winning the 14th just after scoring the goal he has that real madrid mentality he wants to go on and do things further he wants to be here from all the reports that we've heard is 
his contract negotiations with him have been a breeze. He's going to extend his contract. Like that's the type of player we want here. We don't want the drama. We don't want the ordeals and trying to renew like we've had in the past with other players and what we saw with the Mbappe saga. And honestly, for me, this is, it's so fitting for Vinicius Jr. With the season he's had to score, playing on the left wing, his position where he belongs after the Mbappe saga. Like this is, he's, I know he probably wanted to play with Mbappe and I don't want to go down an Mbappe trail, but but I think he may be a big winner of this because he, he gets to continue playing on the left wing. He can continue having more attacking responsibility um, and be really the leader of this Real Madrid, this next generation, especially as guys like Modric and Benzema, Cruz, they, as they all move on, it's going to be Vinny's team. And I'm, I'm just so happy he, he's had this moment. You want to take your victory lap with Courtois now because <laughs> right before the final, right, you tweet I, something to the effect of like, you know, any analysis of Liverpool Real Madrid should take into account the fact that we have this, you know, fire breathing monster who can stop everything that comes his way in goal. And uh, well, I think he was a pretty clear cut man in the match. Without a doubt. I've never seen a goalkeeping performance like this in my life. I don't think ever. And yeah, before the match, I'm going to pat myself on the back. I said, any pre-match analysis of this final that neglects to mention Thibaut Courtois is flawed. Liverpool may end up with the better chances, but they still have to beat the big Belgian, and that's no easy feat. So sure enough, that, that premonition came true. I've, I've, it's just insane. And I think for me, the most important save, and Courtois actually mentioned it after the game. He said this was the most important save, and it was my thought as well was that save against Sadio Mane. Just unbelievable. In the first half, he gets a hand to it. At first, it looked like he may not have even gotten a hand to it, and he just went off the post. But he gets a hand to it, enough to push it onto the post, and then recovers quickly enough to get on top of the ball and make sure Liverpool don't grab any of um, grab any of the scraps. Like, insane. And then the chances for, from Salah when he was in 1v1 after that one touch, took the shot with his right foot. I mean, there was countless, countless saves. Uh, it was, I really and truly have never seen anything like it. I didn't see the Iker Casillas performance against Bayern Leverkusen live. I've obviously since seen highlights. And I, I definitely think this tops that. I definitely think this tops that. And I think Courtois, Lucas on a couple earlier this season said that Courtois will rival and may even be a better goalkeeper than Iker Casillas. And I remember thinking to myself, no way, no way. Like he, it just can't be done. But after a performance like tonight, like he literally put the team on his back. He was saying, no way in hell am I losing this game. I'm winning the Champions League final. I'm winning the Champions League final for Real Madrid. And he literally did everything in his power to make sure that this team won it. And he fully deserves the man of the match award definitely wins the manscape man of the match award. Like he will, I've never seen a goalkeeping performance like it. Have you? I mean, I probably seen something in the ballpark, but right now I'm struggling to remember like, you know, Tim Howard's performance in the world cup and stuff like that. That's a good show. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is for so sure the one of the magnitude of this match, though. I oh, think kinda, yeah. Um, I mean, as a Champions League final, we're gonna have to go back and do the work because this has to be in strong contention for the greatest goalkeeping performance ever in a Champions League final. 
And um, I'm, 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 I'll, I'll be shocked if we can pull up more than like three or four of these. I mean, it's a long competition, but my God, this was incredible. I, I think this is the best goalkeeping performance he's ever put in in a Real Madrid shirt. I mean, he's put in plenty of incredible ones, but I just just did not think like, I don't know, maybe this is just the vibe. I, a continuation of the vibe I had like going in, but I just didn't think Liverpool were going to score. Like, I just, I, I, I just was like, you're not going to beat Courtois. So I noted down some of like the big saves because he had plenty, but I think I noted down four big ones that are just like, this is insane. So the first one, which is really Liverpool's first chance of the game is when Trent Alexander Arnold is able to just get inside. Vinicius does really well, pull, puts a cut back in or a low cross on the ground, and Salah gets there with his right foot, I think, and forces Thibaut into a low save. And that was that was just that was like, okay, that's a good start, Thibaut. That's a good save. And then the other one you talked about comes in the 21st minute where Mane is able to wriggle inside past Casemiro and Militao. And that's the one where like I mean, it's a debate between this one and the Salah one, but in this one, he's going the other way, right? Because Mane is cutting inside. So Courtois needs to move across goal to be able to protect the far post. And Mane does, this is actually insane from Mane. Like, I don't even know how he was able to get off a shot here, but then he does the smart thing and like fires it low and hard near post because he's probably like, well, I mean, it's not like he's, you know, deliberating there, but probably instinctively he's like, let me cut against the grain of the goalkeeper's movement, have a really good chance of scoring. And the the speed with which Courtois is able to react to that decision from Mane and then stretch out and get down to block that shot, like it was margins, man. Like had he kept going the other way for another millisecond, maybe he taps it, you know, he doesn't get enough of a hand to it. It goes off the post and inside. Like it was just a brilliant save. And that was probably the most important save, yeah, because this was... This was Liverpool's strongest section of a match. They created multiple shots in a five-minute stretch leading up to this one. And this was like the culmination of everything. And Liverpool could not break through because of Thibaut. So that was the second one. The third one was when Salah goes all the way across, right? Jota comes on, you know, Hendo puts a ball into the box. Jota heads it all the way over and Salah rushes over and he's at the near post and it's kind of like point blank range although xg definitely is overrating this one it's understandable that it's mostly going to be blind to this type of context and courtois bursts over stretches out a leg and he stops a like a, a goal that would have been like scored from like one yard in front of the line right so that was incredible and then there's obviously the final one where fabinho plays Salah in behind and this was probably the most spectacular because Salah does mendy and it's just like he's got a whole side of goal to fire on and Courtois just reads it, gets a strong hand on a solid attempt by Salah and it's, it's saved. And that was really Liverpool's last proper chance of the game. It's just, it's like every key moment, man, like he was there on every Liverpool surge. These are some of the best saves I've ever seen in the champions league. And the one where he um, gets across goal and then saves it with his feet against Salah, who was at the back post. That one kind of reminded me of uh, Iker Casillas versus Sevilla. I know it's not right, quite yeah. as same, but just how quickly he got over to the other side of the goal to make that save. Just insane. I was actually, so I watched this game uh, at a restaurant and a bar with some friends. And so the mix of friends were like Real Madrid fans and Liverpool fans. And so I was sitting next to a Liverpool fan and 
he just could not get over how Courtois was saving everything, every little thing Courtois was saving. And it, it was just, it, this game will long live in the memory. Like Courtois goes down as a legend just for this game alone. He, and But the thing is, it's not a one-off. He's been doing this all season. He did it against Manchester City. He did it against Chelsea. He did it against PSG. Think about how many times he saved against Mbappe, uh, both in the first and second leg. Like it could have been a lot worse against PSG. All these games could have been worse if it wasn't for Courtois. And when you have Courtois and Kareem Benzema in your team, and then stacked alongside guys like Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, Casemiro, Alaba, you have a chance no matter what. And I think the other thing that stood out to me in this game, just kind of big picture, is the defensive unit. And really everyone, like it was a def- the whole team defending well. It wasn't just the back four or the back four plus Casemiro. It was the whole team defending really well as a unit especially in the second half, especially after we scored. Um, And I thought there was a period in the match. I don't know. I would say, I guess it was, it was in the second half. And I, I can't recall if it was after we scored or just before we scored and then kind of um, the minutes following, but Casemiro was just imperious. Like I was watching and I was thinking to myself, this is Casemiro at Stanford bridge all over again. He was in the perfect spots, every little spot. He was there to make the clearance, to make the tackle, to make the shot block. And when Casemiro plays like that, and he seems to always do it in Champions League finals or in big games, when Casemiro plays like that, you it doesn't matter what his on-ball deficiencies are. Like It's just he is imperious. He's imperious. And I think um, his on-ball issues weren't really a problem. I think he had one bad giveaway, but other than that, not an issue at all. And... I, I just can't get over the defensive the defensive unit as a whole. Like the every, every single one of those players on the back four, incredible. Danny Carvajal, lights out performance. This was the best I've seen Carvajal play in years. And that's saying something because he played really well against City and against Chelsea in the second leg. And so Carvajal, I think, has done a lot, especially since he's been able to maintain his fit, fitness, maintain his match rhythm, in these bigger Champions League games, since since turning that around, since actually putting getting some continuity together, he's really looked the player not not on an attacking front. I'll I'll say that definitely not on an offensive threat, but his defensive ability and that his one v one ability. Even I thought he pocketed Luis Diaz, who for me was one of the most dangerous players coming into this game. I was most worried about Luis Diaz, and Carvajal pocketed him honestly like he he really didn't have that much trouble and so i'm i'm just i'm really happy to see him turn his form around because he's another guy that's been criticized heavily and i think rightly so but now that he's getting that match rhythm he's he's looking more like himself yeah so some things on both of those so i i think you might be a little surprised to see Casemiro's passing accuracy at 72.6 percent but i would completely agree that it wasn't really like an issue or like if that's what you focus on for this game you're really like missing the picture here because I thought he was absolutely fabulous defensively this is one of the great defensive performances from Casemiro there's just one I mean there's so many that we can go through but just one moment to kind of pick out what I was talking about because you know 
Mane, I thought was fantastic at consistently being able to find space in the box to receive and try to initiate a combination, turn, like make something like he was putting so much pressure on the defense. And there was only so much Alaba and Militao could do to always keep track of him when also Salah was floating in and out, right? You know, maybe a midfielder would make a run into the box, right? You have, you know, the TAA coming inside, right? There's so much happening that you needed someone else to be able to fill in and track what was going on. So, if I can just find the sequence in my notes. Yeah, it was in like the 17 to 18 minute, right? Like the end of the 17 minute going into the 18 minute. So this is where Robertson from the inside, right? So again, so much happening. He's able to find Mane in the box and Mane is actually free. Like Militao is not able to get there because he's he's concerned with something else. And Casemiro is the one who just like in an instant just blitzes over there. And as Mane turns, just shuts off any avenue for him to get through the goal to be able to put on a shot. And so he has to play a cutback to Salah, which was a decent shot. But I mean, it was from the edge of the box and it was straight at Courtois. And that's just something that's like never going to be able to show. Like, it's so difficult to quantify what that is unless you do like a you know, a tracking data model and like, you know, cutting out space. Like we're never really going to be able to see that until very far into the future. Although some clubs do have that, but just looking at that from like analyzing the film on that, like Casemiro shuts down with that action an extremely pos- extremely high valuable shot, like the potential of that and forces Salah to take a much tougher shot from way farther back that Courtois is comfortable handling. Like those are the types of things he was he was doing. He was just so so alert, man, to be able to pick up all of this clever movement in behind, and that's how Liverpool kill you. Like there is no team better in the world. I mean, I think City as like a machine and as a unit are like the best at being able to consistently create chances. But in terms of like dynamic movement into the box, I don't think there's a better team in the world than Liverpool. And Castro was a huge huge part in shutting stuff down. Right, like. Had he not been there and had he not played as well as he did, I think the volume and quality of chances Liverpool would have created would have gone up and it would have probably one would have gone in eventually. Like it was essential that he performed the way he did. And so great performance from him and Carvajal, Hall, man, like I cannot emphasize enough how huge it is to have him being a real footballer to end the season, because there was some ugly performances, man, for a while. And then with that second leg versus Chelsea, I think it was, he just turned it around. I think maybe it was a run of fitness or whatever, but obviously there has to be a quality footballer in there somewhere, right? Like we know how good he used to be. And he was just able to find it at the right time because we needed him. We needed him so badly in this game, right? I mean, he completely shut down Luis Diaz, who is one of the top dribbling threats in the world, right? I mean, he, he's been a sensation for Liverpool and Diaz barely had a sniff. And then, you know, I agree with you, Matt, overall, his offensive influence isn't quite the same, but he's had some key moments, right? You know, the cross to Rodrigo, if I'm remembering correctly, versus City and stuff like that. And then on the goal that we scored, I mean, I mean, we're all over the place, so I might as well just just go there. But it starts with a throw in. We rotate to the right hand side. Liverpool actually recover really, really well and when I thought they were going to be exposed and then Modric drags Robertson forward because Liverpool, yeah, they recover well, but not everyone is in the right place. And so Modric, I don't know how he sees it, but he just turns and slips Carvajal between the lines and Carvajal plays like 
threads the eye of the needle to find Casemiro, like between two Liverpool players. I don't know how that wasn't intercepted, but it was the perfect, perfect pass. And then obviously Casemiro plays it wide to Valverde, a simple pass, and Valverde runs down the flank. But Carvajal instantly, the second he releases that pass, goes to make the overlapping run. And that is the key. I mean, everyone is going to focus on TA's defense, which wasn't good. But Carvajal's run on the overlap dissuades Van Dyke from stepping out to Valverde. And if Van Dyke had stepped out, there's a high chance he would have won it or been able to block off Fede's delivery to the far side. And maybe Van Dyke still should have gone and forced that pass. But it's in those transition moments, he just caused a little bit of doubt in Van Dyke's mind. He couldn't go because he felt like if the overlap comes, like he's going to be so free to put a ball into the box. And that gives Fede the space to put I mean, people are crediting as a shot somewhere. I mean, I thought it was a pass, actually, but I, was I don't know. Maybe you. I was going to ask I thought, you what you thought it was. I thought he was a purposeful driven pass to the far post. I could be wrong. Maybe the power is what makes it look I, in like pass time, to me. I thought it was too, but then when I watched the replay, it looks like he's kind of setting up the shoot. All right, maybe, whatever. As long as you put good balls into those <laughs> areas, you know, like, so whatever, whatever but that it, was. It's funny you call out... Um the Carvajal overlap because that's actually Thierry Henry called it out. And I, I think he's actually one of the better pundits. Um, and he called it out as well saying like, if that overlap doesn't happen from Carvajal, then Fede doesn't have the time, just as you mentioned. Right. And I think um, just prior to that, you, you mentioned the pass from Carvajal, but I think that the Luka Modric, like dodging three wild. players and then playing the reverse wild. vertical pass was unbelievable and that that should not any replay of the goal has to start with that because it's that's just Luka Modric to a T it was it was insane and I mean obviously Alexander Arnold's defense was not good I mean that, that's a hard ball to defend but not once does he check his back Yeah, he had no idea where Vinny was yeah and that, that's poor I mean and I, look I'm a huge TAA simp like I was honestly <laughs> going back through the film and looking at some of the moments offensively he was pretty insane, but he has weaknesses, right? Like, and that was a clear weakness there. And he, he really fell asleep there and it cost his team in the champions league final. Um, I mean, well, I guess we'll just keep going to all the players and we'll cover match events that way. I, yeah. Let's get to the rest of the midfield, man, because you mentioned Modric, Jesus Christ. Like, there, cause the opening of this game was like, it was very much the first 20, 25 minutes where like that was Liverpool's game. And then it began to open up. We actually had more possession the second part of the first half, which was not something I clocked in live time. Um, But like, that was really the moment where we had to survive. And then there was, there were periods in the second half, but that was like the big one, right? It was like, it was exactly how at least I expected it, right? Like Liverpool controlling play well, the counter press and press is insane. We just cannot escape. And there were just these moments where, you know, Modric and Kroos were like having to figure out things on the fly. They're like, okay, we're up against this monstrous system. How are we going to help our team get out of this? And there was one moment where Modric goes to create a back three. Like he just drops way off yep. and attracts the pressure. Kroos instantly recognizes what's going on and he pulls all the way across to our right-hand side. Him and, and Luca exchange passes and then... Casemiro is able to roam to the right place between the lines and Luca just fires a ball straight at Casemiro. Casemiro knows exactly what's happening and just volleys a ball to the right flank. And that was, I think, like our first real good breakaway. Fede carries the ball, puts a, puts a ball across and um, it wasn't accurate and Liverpool able to retain position. It was like moments like these where it's, 
they, they take such care, Luca and Kroos, with the tiny actions, right? Like it means so much to them, right? Yeah. To be yeah. able to, to do these things so well that they, they accumulate, the value accumulates over time throughout a match, throughout a season. And then you have a moment like on the goal where Luca's like, I am not giving the ball away. Not only am I not giving the ball away, I'm going to play the perfect pass to Carbajal at the perfect time. And then it ends up contributing to a goal, right? Like that's the genius of these types of players. And then look, Kroos has taken a lot of shit this season. And I don't think, I think I mostly have not been on the pod to address this because I wasn't there for the city games. Right. Um, But I think a lot of it has been exaggerated. Like for sure. I think he has like not necessarily been great in certain instances. And then often going to this reactive, very open game, you know, with Carlos systems has not benefited him. And there have been moments to criticize, but like, I think people kind of lost the plot because this is one of those games where I'm like, yeah, I'm not really thinking about a midfield without Tony Kroos right now because Liverpool are just the best like pressing counter pressing unit in the world. And this motherfucker had a 92.7% passing accuracy on passing volume. That is way higher than anyone else, right? He had 82 attempted passes and the next highest was Militao with 61 and then Modric with 56. Like this dude just took on a massive load versus the press, dropping off, playing the right switch passes, attracting pressure and releasing players free. Like on the, uh, which we'll, we'll have to talk about the VAR incident, but on that, in the, in, in the sequence leading up to that incident, incident, it's from Kroos dropping off, attracting pressure, exchanging passes with Alaba, then slipping Alaba through. And because it's Alaba who's the one going forward, like Liverpool are like, who is supposed to pick this guy up? So he has all the time in the world to play Benzema in behind. Robertson falls asleep. Van Dyke wasn't really in a position to be able to recover. And then that entire, you know, controversy happens, right? Like it's, it's almost kind of similar to what, what Luca did on the goal that we ended up scoring. It's just that one ended up being scored and this one didn't, right? Like I, I just, to have like that level of passing actually on that volume with knowing that so much of it is purposeful and so much of it is, 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 is the work to destabilize Liverpool or, you know, retain pressure in crucial moments. He's, he's a monster, man. He's a monster. And like, you, you saw his comments afterwards, right? Like the German interview. Yeah, yeah. German reporter interviewed him like and was like, why do you think Liverpool dominated all the 90 minutes? And he said something that was like, you know, you had 90 minutes to think of a question and it was that shit one. I can tell you're German. And then he walked off. I mean, legendary stuff, man. Like this midfield, like it, it just worked for this game. This... We, we talk all about Benzema, we talk about Vinicius, we talk about Courtois, and, and, and not wrongly, right? Because these are the three most differential players in this competition on the two ends of the pitch where, where being differential matters the most. But that midfield, that generational midfield core, the way they've been able to manage those moments throughout this season has been incredible. And then, yeah, there's been the story of the bench mob coming on to where maybe there's deficiencies with, with them. They've been able to solve it, but for this final specifically, it was really just them because we did not end up needing that bench mod, right? It ended up being like a totally different kind of way of managing the game. But I just, Kroos, Luca's subtle genius and Casemiro's defensive genius, I could go all day, man. You better stop me. <laughs> well, it, it really is subtle genius. And like when I go back and watch this game, I might have to watch it two or three times over and just watch 
what Cruz, Modric, and Casemiro do because their movements and their understandings and just little things, like you mentioned, little things that they do on and off the ball make the biggest of differences. And I, like you, I felt like the first 20, 25 minutes, it was really tense. The match was really tense. I felt like Real Madrid were struggling to build out of the back and find the right outlets and Liverpool's press and, and just how high of a line they were keeping us locked in our own half. We were, we were really struggling to get out. And then that little maneuver you talked about where Modric kind of went almost to a right back, his false right back position, him and Cruz like to Cruz goes to the left back. Modric sometimes the right back. Well, this time Modric just goes to the right back position. Carvajal moves forward. That way Modric picks up the ball out of the back and it's the one helping us get out. Cruz trots over and the two of them just combine and we're out of pressure just like that. And this, and it's against Klopp's Liverpool. Like this is a team that is renowned for their pressing is the poster boy for pressing the ideal, like the example and Cruz and Modric just make it look easy sometimes to, to play through it. And I thought Tony Cruz, even more so than Modric, like Modric, I thought was great, but I really want to point out Tony Cruz because I think he was, this was one of his best games of the season. I think one of his best games of the seasons, he, he worked hard defensively as well, but just, he was always, he was the one whenever I felt like the weak side switch was always on for Real Madrid, especially in the first half. And you could always trust Cruz to play that ball. And when Cruz was on the ball, you you trusted him to make the right decisions and to keep it, to retain possession. I never worry. I never worry when Tony Cruz is on the ball. And I, I think that's the ultimate compliment to him. And just, it's incredible what, the, what these guys have done. I, I don't know if you saw some of the pictures afterwards where Modric and Cruz were like just consoling each other, holding each other and screaming after the match. Like it, it's, these two will forever go down in Real Madrid history. And like, I, I don't know that, that picture, I felt like it was moving almost like it was just, it's, they're so special. And I think this game, their class and their experience just stood out. They, they knew how to handle this match. And I think that's why Tony Cruz got so pissed off with the question from the German reporter, because that's Real Madrid wanted to play deeper. They wanted not to give any space to Liverpool in behind them. They wanted to have to kind of grind out in block shots and maybe not give as many opportunities where Courtois needs to make huge saves, but they wanted to play this type of performance where they could then release Vinicius Jr. into space, in the space behind Trent Alexander. You utilize Fede Valverde's two-way experience. And that's that's why I think Cruz got pissed off because he's like, come on, we just won the Champions League final. This is the type of question you asked me. We knew what we were doing and we we know how to win these games. It's always amazing to me. You have that kind of access, man. Like you're on the pitch with Tony Cross in front of you one of the most intelligent footballers of all time who was just doing some amazing things that we discussed. You could like literally ask him, you know, how did you manage those moments? How did you just ask him, how did you resist the press? And you'd probably get like a minute, two minute answer that is more revealing than anything we could, we could say on this podcast and people choose to ask that stuff. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I have had the, I've had the privilege of interviewing a couple women's football players and interviewing women's football coaches and stuff like and the insight that they can give you when you ask them real questions is like, 
it's it's the best content I'll ever produce. And it just baffles me that people get the access to to, to people that we, you know, I don't know how big managing Madrid has to become to be able to get access, but it'll be a while, right? And that's the question they choose to ask. It's it's amazing to me. And, and when you just won the Champions League final, I think you should just treat it how close it, which was, which was pretty awesome. Um, who have we not gone to? So like Mendy and Fede, I think are the main, and, and Benzema, I guess, um, which was a quiet game for him, but we can talk about these guys. I think these were some of the quieter players in terms of, it's harder to pick out like huge moments for them. Um, obviously, Fede was on the goal specifically, but I think multiple of them. Mendy, I thought, did fine. You know, like this is the thing with fullback defending, right? Is whenever Salah was going one versus one with Mendy, aside from that final chance he scored, it was it was Salah. But a lot of what Salah was doing was coming inside, floating off of him, forcing someone else to pick him up. And Mendy, like, he had a really tough time, you know, just conceptually trying to figure out, like, who is it that I'm picking up, right? Because TA and Salah are just constantly rotating in and out. Hendo often ends up going really, really wide to complete these interchanges. But he had some really good interceptions. I forgot what specifically this one was, and it's so vague. Like, so it's probably not helpful for people listening. But there was one where Mendy, like, you know, goes to challenge a duo on the left and then recovers inside. And I think TA tries to thread a ball through and he just snatches the ball away. And he was just one of those guys who was always staying super alert, understanding that, okay, maybe I can't get a handle on who it is I'm marking every single time, but if I just stay locked in, I'll be able to react quickly enough to be able to shut things down. And he was one of those guys that was doing it. Um, oh, we also forgot to talk about Alba and Militao, but I guess I'll, I'll leave those guys to you. Um, in terms of, Fede, like, so this was like my one L of the night, right? So I was like, increasingly the way that Liverpool were defending Vinicius, I thought was largely successful. Like, I, I think they did a really good job. And I thought Konate, man, I he really, you know, gave a good account of himself. I mean, I knew he was good yeah. go- going in. So this wasn't a surprise to me, but to do it on a Champions League final, like Real Madrid shows you like it, it ain't that easy, right? Compared to everyone, when you compare them to everyone else, but Konate, he was the right choice. Like that was a good selection for Klopp and he, he defended really, really well. And so just in general, I thought Liverpool had a good idea to contain Vinicius, especially when they understood, probably they saw that lineup and they had time now, you know, to make decisions right with that delay that Klopp was like, just overload the hell out of that right-hand side. Like sometimes there were five players trying to contain Vinicius and we didn't really have an out ball there. Right. Because Benzema would kind of float into the congestion. So Vinny had someone to connect to and we couldn't really switch aggressively to the right-hand side because it was just Carvajal out there and Bede was going to come in inside. And so I was like, well, from a tactical POV, Rodrigo just makes, he's starting to make a lot more sense in the second half, right? Because one, he can provide much more width and credible threat if he stretches out wide to the touchline, but also if he comes inside He's also more of a credible threat because one, he's a master at, you know, getting, you know, onto the end of combinations between Vinny and Benzema on the blind side, which then can extend to runs in the box. And he scored so many important Champions League goals that way. I was just thinking, look, that's just something that just, it gives us something extra and maybe we can kill off Liverpool. And then like, like five minutes later or something, Fed ends up making a really good run down the line. Obviously contributes to the goal. Um, But overall, Look, that, that's the thing, right? So this is more of just a comment on the tactical side of things. Fede, like, I didn't expect him to do any of that, right? Like, Fede did what he was supposed to do, 
which was be a defensive presence, track Robertson really, really well. And actually his selection was really nice because he is a central midfielder and Robertson is going to float inside sometimes. It really helped us, you know, kind of keep a handle on him and, and try to contain him as best as possible. Obviously, it would help out with Luis Diaz. And then he made really selfless runs in transition time and time again. We really tried to exploit that out ball to Fede. The passing wasn't always great. I mean, Militao was the one playing a lot of those balls and he was under 50%. I think he was like five or 13 or something on long balls. And he he just he just played his role and he did what he needed to do. And when the moment came, whether it was a little bit of luck or not, he was there and you know at, at the right place at the right time. And it just kind of fell for him. So very, very solid performance from him. And then Benzema was just a tough night, man. Like so many moments where he was not able to get on the ball. He had to do so much work to show for possession and, and keep things going. He also, in a way, just kind of played a selfless role and was like, I'm going to occupy defenders. I'm going to try to, you know, hold up the ball whenever I can find a way to release other players. And he just kind of let others shine. And then he had one huge moment. Remember, I, I mean, in, in that VAR incident where that could have been his goal and, you know, luck went against him there. So, yeah, I mean, every single player, I think, played at a good level, if not a great level. And I mean, you can comment on them, obviously, but I, I think Alaba and Militao are the only ones we haven't really gone into yet. Yeah, well, first, I, I saw a great tweet um, saying that Real Madrid won the final without Kareem Benzema taking a shot. <laughs> Did anyone expect that? Um and so given given the heroics and all the previous matches and just what he's meant to us this 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 season, we won the we won the Champions League final without Kareem Benzema taking a single shot. So I think that goes to show you. Um kind of not not necessarily I didn't think it was like a poor performance. I just kind of to your point, um, I think he was he was more involved in kind of tasks that maybe weren't seen to like weren't visible to the the audience it was a bit of the old benzema right yeah yeah exactly exactly and like there was little touches where he would come off from the center backs come deep into midfield and just provide the one touch pass out that completely broke liverpool's press or, or allowed us to build out and so little things like that i think yeah a, a good a good parallel is kind of an old benzema uh, performance and so um, but Fede, I, I do want to talk about Fede because like he was for me, I thought he did his job to a T perfect. And like, this is kind of what we've come to expect from Fede at that right wing role. And he's kind of made it his own. It's, it's not, he's not a pure right winger. He's not like an Isco diamond force midfielder. He doesn't really come that centrally that often. Um, oftentimes he's playing as a right back in a lot of, time uh, in a lot of sequences and he just he's made this position his own he's made it fit and tailor to his qualities and i wouldn't say i still think his best position probably is a little bit more centrally and where we've seen him best is that first year under zidane where he did at one point take the position from luka modric i think that's where he's at his best but in this role and against these types of oppositions you get to utilize all his qualities. And I think him nullifying Robertson, doubling down on Luis Diaz. I remember there was one play where Luis Diaz was um, about to take Carvajal 1v1 and like plays the ball past Carvajal and was just going to try and go by him for speed. 
And Carvajal, credit to him, stayed with him. But who else was coming out of nowhere with just insane lethal speed was Fede Valverde from like 10 yards away, maybe even 15. And he caught up to both of them and was right there to cover for Carvajal if he ended up losing that duel. And like that's that's what Fede does in this role. And that's why he's so important. I think it's a big reason why Carvajal has played so well because he just has this immense support from Fede Valverde and he knows he's got a guy that's even if he's out of position, he's got the speed and athleticism to get and the engine to get back and just double down, triple down, whatever he needs to do. If he has to play right back, he'll play it. If he has to quickly transition all the way up to the wing to be an option on the right, he'll do that. And his attitude and his just the way he he approaches games and gives his life out there. And he even says <laughs> He even talks about how he gives his life out there. Like you can't help, but, but love this player and just uh, give me more Fede Valverde's. I'll take as many as we can get because that type of player that he's a warrior, honestly, like that's the perfect word for him. He's a warrior. And um, even, even after we scored, I actually thought that's when my, my brother was watching the game with me and he told me, the next five minutes are going to be really important after, after we scored, like either Liverpool are going to come down and just be, it's going to be an onslaught or Real Madrid just have to try and manage this game. And actually five minutes following our goal. And really after our goal, we played really, we played some of our best football and Fede was a part of that. And Fede, I remember um, drew, he was the one that drew a hard tackle from Fabinho that resulted in Fabinho's first or only yellow card. And it was little things like that, that I just felt like he put his heart and soul out there. He obviously had to come out for Rodrigo because he was getting cramped. But like when you just put that amount of effort into a match and you, you are willing to die for the shirt, like it just, you, you then make yourself a guaranteed fan favorite. He, he was insane, man. Like teams, super teams need Fede Valerides. Like it's that simple. Right. Like you can go your PSG route and have people like put all the talent, but you need people who work, you know, especially if it's not distributed evenly. I mean, I think everyone worked really hard today, but there's a different level with Fede mixed with that athleticism that just makes him such an important safety valve. And like, what a luxury to be able to be like, yeah, I mean, we're facing all these incredible teams from England with, you know, all their money or, you know, how intelligently they built their teams, great systems. And it's like, maybe we can't go toe to toe and we've just got to survive. What a luxury. Like, okay. In that, like, so invaluable to have at Real Madrid. Okay, so it cut out for me there, but I, yeah, one, thing no. that you, uh, one thing that you said that kind of stuck with me, and it's so true, and he's almost like our Lucas Vazquez on steroids now, is, quote, super teams need their Fede Valverdes. Like, that That for me is spot on. And, and he is what almost what Lucas Vasquez was in 2015, 2016, but like even more, even more 
two way and better on the ball and um maybe not not as good like 1v1 isolated 1v1 like Lucas was really good in that department but he was like that's that's the role and to your point like you need those guys you need those guys and that's why again maybe this is all for the best that certain players aren't coming to Real Madrid and certain players are and I think it's going to be it's going to bode well for guys that are willing to work because you talked about how hard Vinicius works and where his pressing numbers are and what he does defensively and we've talked about that all season like these are two I can't I mean these I can't say enough about these two players Vinny and Fede like that's that those two will you need that type of effort and you need those selfless personalities to be able to win matches like this and that's exactly what they what they are and what they were yeah, so we're not quite teams like, you know, City and Liverpool in terms of like, you know, they're like this, the collective that bends to like the tactical will like so much, right? But we are still very much like a collective in terms of character, right? Like people, I think, really tempting to paint this Real Madrid. And it was true in some editions in the past as like just a collection of, you know, really talented individuals. You can't really get them to work together in an organized system because that's just how Real Madrid is with the egos. And that's why Carlo came along to manage all of that. And then, you know, they would deliver on the pitch like that. That doesn't really work for me. Not, not with this group. Cause Keon said it before. I don't remember on which podcast he was, but like, this must be, there's never probably been a vibe of togetherness, you know, and selfishness with this, you know, this group of Real Madrid players compared to any other team before. Right. Like I feel there's a real sense of collective with the character of these teams. Everyone's willing to work for everybody. Right. You know, no one is complaining about, you know, oh, we're not, you know, playing or, you know, have to be in this role. No one who's relevant anyway. Right. And it's just it gives us that extra something in moments like these when we go down and we're facing like backs up against the wall is like they just look at each other and they're like, yeah, like brothers in arms is like, fuck, yeah, like, let's go. Right. So I, I, I think there's something there that's I'm probably going to get missed outside Real Madrid circles, but there's a collectiveness with the character there that I think is really, really important. It's exemplified by people like Fede and then, and then rising stars like Vinicius. Like it's always been difficult to me. Like what is Real Madrid? How do you define it? Like I've always been struggling with this to really put a pin down on it. Cause that's just who I am. And I just really nice to be like, what is Real Madrid? you know, it's Marcelo, it's Vinicius, right? Like it just makes sense when you say stuff like that. So yeah, man, like incredible, incredible stuff for them. And I'm just so glad that there's so many more years for them to go. Um, just one note, like about Carvalho, Hall, which I forgot to mention. There was one moment, right, where they Liverpool swing a ball across and it looks like Luis Diaz is going to be completely free and somehow Carvalho Hall gets there. I don't even remember exactly I don't know if he touched it forced Luis Diaz to head it the wrong way but that might have been his most important defensive invention of the entire game I don't know if you remember that but that was wild yeah I'm trying to think back to that one um even it kind of made me think of um for some reason what's playing in my head is that crunching almost two-footed tackle Mendy had on on Salah um and other than that, I know you kind of talked about Mendy, but I didn't think he really provided that much else. But he did what he had to do. He did what he had to do. I think Salah really didn't play that well in this game. Obviously, he had those two chances, two big chances. But other than that, I, I didn't think he played that well. And again, it's a credit a credit to this back line. Um, but 
Where do you want to go from here? Should I talk about Alaba? In, yeah, in go, go, go into <laughs> Before him, we forget about them. Yeah, talk about him because they were great. Yeah, no, I mean, both of them, immense. I was a little nervous. Militao made me a little nervous in certain moments. And I was like, oh, what do you, especially in the first half. I was like, oh, what are you doing? Just just make sure, let's stay composed on the ball. But I, I, both of them, like he won some insane headers. He put his body on the line. Uh, maybe he had a little theatrics a couple times, but like it was worth it. It slowed the game down. It was kind of some, it was just being smart and smart in certain moments. And then Alaba, he obviously played that beautiful over-the-top pass to Karim Benzema on what would what eventually became the disallowed goal. But that came from Alaba actually kind of doing an underlapping run with men doing a one-two and then an underlapping run with Mendy and then picking up the ball in almost a, a left defensive midfield position and, and just clipping it into Benzema. And I just, I love, I, I've said it all year. I love having Alaba there to build out from the back, be the guy that um, you can trust in possession. He's so composed. I trust, I, I trust him with, um, with my life on, on the ball back there. And he, he makes those dagger passes. He makes the progressive passes. He's willing to take a little bit more risk and, and you trust him to do that. And, and then just defensively today, he had countless, especially think about the first half. I think they kind of went under the radar, but he had like two or three, just perfectly timed slide tackles to dispossess Mane and Salah. And he, he did that. I mean, he just had so many little interventions and actually right before our goal, the goal we scored, it was Alaba where the ball, some Liverpool fans thought it ricocheted off his hand or something, but his hand was right next to him. So it wasn't in an unnatural position, but he blocks the shot and then he clears it out. And like, that was right before we, we then go on to score. So it's those little details. It's those little moments where that, that made the biggest difference. And we always talk about it. And I just, I thought the two of them, it was great. We, we were worried about Militao coming into this because we said, can he turn it on? He's been kind of a, a basket case to end the season, but can he turn it on at the, at the, on the biggest stage? And I think for the most part, he did. I, I thought maybe first 20 minutes, first half or so, he was a little shaky at moments, but second half, he was immense. And Alaba was right there with him. He was just a rock at the back, the whole back line. I can't say enough good things about the whole back line. Militao worried me with some of those passes. And like, just in general, this has been a weird trend this season where like versus pressure, we, we go to the right side way more. Like I was, I didn't love that Militao had like close to, you know, double like the amount of attempted passes that Oliver had, but my biggest worry, like just in general, right. Coming into the season is like, what is the box defense going to be like without Ramos and Veron? Like, I just felt like, it's kind of a big downgrade and Alaba was my biggest question. And, you know, I think there have been reasons to have that opinion throughout the season, but today elite elite box defense from those two. I, I mean, I don't really have more to say about Alaba because you covered it perfectly with all of those interceptions he was making. Like I think the first 20, 25 minutes, Alaba was like the best defender. Like he had so many, I'm going to have to go back and look like, you know, event by event to even remember all of the things he was doing, but my God, elite intervention after elite intervention. And then as Liverpool started to expand to attack down the left-hand side, Militao really stepped up big. Obviously he had Casemiro coming to, to help for him, but he also had massive moments. And there was one where I just think exemplifies the type of effort Real Madrid were able to put today where, you know, our, we were kind of like Liverpool, I think, regained the ball. We're recovering a little bit. We, we decided, hey, let's kind of stay in a higher block and, you know, 
I, I think it was TAA who plays it to Mane and it just, it just like shreds our entire structure. Mane looks up and he plays Diaz in behind. I don't know if you remember the sequence, Matt. And like Diaz is away and Modric busts a gut to get over there yeah. and like face up with him one versus one. And like, yeah. that was like, I love Modric, man. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand how like someone of his ability at his age works that hard defensively. And like, it was so critical that he got there because, and he's also such a good one versus one defender. Technically, I think this is the most underrated thing about him. Like he faces up in a really nice stance. He's on his toes, ready to go either way. And Diaz has to take a beat because he needs to think about what he's going to do or he's going to lose the ball. And as he takes that beat, everyone else is, is, is kind of able to recover and he plays the ball out to Mane. And as soon as the ball leaves Diaz's feet, Militao just explodes out from his position to close down the shot. And what looked like, if you if you just pause like the screen, right when the ball is leaving Diaz's foot, Mane has so much space. And it actually looks like he's in a really good position to take a long shot or drive forward or play a pass something. And by the time it reaches Mane, he has no space and he's rushed into the shot. It's blocked. And then Casemiro comes over, I think, and he blocks the shot from TAA. I don't know if I'm remembering all of this correctly, but I think that's what it was. And it's just like just a sequence of three elite individual defensive actions, just one after another coming together to prevent Liverpool from getting through. Like it's it, it's so good. And Militao like made his impact there. I, I, defensively in terms of like the individual defensive performances here, like there's so much, you can, you can write like seven articles just picking out like so many things from what was going on here. Like this is one, a game I think I'll, I'll continue coming back to for a long time because I think it has that rewatchable element, at least for me in terms of there's just something I can pick out in every moment that just yeah. really piques my interest and was, was so nice. Yeah. And I, what I said at the start of the, the pod was, um, Maybe it's not, I got to double check, but Liverpool, 24 shots, Real Madrid, two or three or something like that. But you, in reading that, or it's 24 shots, Liverpool, four shots, Madrid. And reading that, you would think, oh, Liverpool dominated, like Real Madrid should have, uh, maybe should have lost this game. But no, no, it, that's not the case. This was just Real Madrid put on a masterclass in defending and defending as a unit and defending individually as well. Like just at, at every level. They, it was, it was something to behold. And like you said, like we could go back and watch sequence after sequence, look at the defensive unit and then look at individuals and you can just see how good they were at, at blocking shots, making little tackles, disrupting the play, like whatever it may be, interceptions, Casemiro in the right spot at the right time. I mean, that moment you talk about with Modric, that I'm so glad you brought that up where he he's basically right back squared up one V one with Luis Diaz. This guy's 36 years old. We used to joke how like, Oh, well, peak Modric could play like right back, right mid center, mid and right winger. Like he basically did that today. He basically did that. And he's done it a lot throughout this champions league campaign. And it's just, it's insane what he's doing. And I'm so happy that, He's staying on for another season. I, I will not. I refuse to put a time clock on him. I don't know when he'll be done. He showed no signs of maybe slight signs of slowing down, but nothing massive, no massive decline. And for me, like I fully expect him to produce like this again next year. And it's just it's insane to, to expect that and to believe he can do that. But he's not shown me any reason why why to think otherwise. And so um, 
But I, I think it's important to reiterate that point that, yeah, maybe Liverpool had 24 shots and maybe they had 54% possession versus our 46, but we weren't clearly outplayed. It, it didn't feel like that type of match. It felt like Real Madrid were actually always in in control. They trusted Courtois to, to make the saves he had to make and come out big on corner any corner kicks. Like Liverpool set pieces. I was worried about that, but it was a non-threat, and now it's largely in part to Courtois and a couple of Benzema headed clearances out. But otherwise, I think Militao had one big header on a set piece late in the game as well. But otherwise, like Liverpool really didn't create a threat. Yeah, Courtois was huge on set pieces. I think that's the other thing. It's like the shot stopping is there, but a fundamental part of Courtois' game has been his ability to claim high deliveries into the box. And um, that was on show. I mean, obviously not as consequential as the big saves, but I, he, he, I mean, he just snatched some out of the air. And Liverpool are an insane offensive set piece team. And defensive set pieces have been an issue for us all year. Like Keon and I have talked about, I think I'm pretty sure you have as well. So to like really tighten that up and not give much away there is pretty incredible. Um, the XE on this one is going to be like a little wild wherever you look because it's going to be blind to, to a certain yeah, a couple of things. So one is like a lot of these Liverpool shots were like on one sequence, right? And that theoretically could lead to situations where you have an XG over one. And, you know, the best model is just pick out the highest quality shot in a sequence and strip the other one out because it, it logically, it doesn't make sense like to be like, well, the XG, you know, the, the total XG on a sequence was 1.12. That's one sequence, right? So it, it can only really produce one actual goal if that happens. And so that's, that's one element. I think there were three or four where there were multiple shots. Some of them were like just completely blocked and some models are not that good and they're not going to be able to really see that. And then there's like just specific ones where like the Salah chance at like the far post where Courtois comes all the way over, it was a good save. It was a good chance, but it was, it wasn't that easy for Salah, really. He only had one place to really put it, and Courtois came over and stopped it. I would say that's a good chance. I want my team being put in those positions time and time again, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, this must be a goal type thing, right? Which it's just it's just going to be difficult for models to pick up on that individual sequence, which is why people who create these models themselves are like, this is more of a long, long-term, large sample size thing. Single game XG, you got to be careful not you know it's not that you don't look at it but pair it very carefully with with your analysis and what you're doing with the game um i think michael cayley's probably produced the one that most jives with the way i viewed the game which it still had liverpool ahead i had 1.5 xg liverpool 0.9 to us that feels right to me right like i think liverpool really did create enough chances to at least score one and possibly two but that vinnie chance was so huge like I, I felt like if you were going to count up all the chances, I think Liverpool were, were better than us, but not in the sense that it's just like, oh my God, this is the greatest robbery of all time. This is the 2012 final where I think Bayern had like 3.3 XG or something and Chelsea ended up stealing it. Yeah, I mean, look, did a lot of some of these chances we didn't want to concede. I do think Liverpool played well in certain instances, but I think if you really go back and count chance by chance, is not going to look as inflated as it is. And this is just part of like navigating XG, learning better, understanding what the model means, understanding that there are different models and then talking to the people who build the models and asking them, you know, what it means. Like Kaylee responded because people were critiquing him and they're like, all the other models say, you know, it's like two or more, two XG or more. And Kaylee kind of explained what his model did and then kind of defended. And he was like, I think mine 
you know, best represented of what actually happened on the game. And, and in this case, I agree with him. So that's how I view it. And um, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that that Madrid were able to come out with, with that type of XG, you know, balance, because we've seen those types of matches been pulled out before. Right. So yeah, I, I don't really feel like this is a robbery, but I do feel for Liverpool because I think they, they did play pretty well offensively in a lot of instances. The other thing too, uh, late on, Real Madrid had plenty of chances to kill the game. And they didn't, and they didn't shoot, right? Oh, my God, yeah, dude. Danny Ceballos in <sighs> 1v1. I wanted oh him to score that so bad. Oh, man, I would have been so happy for him. You know, you know how I said I was calm? I was not calm the last 10 minutes of those games. <laughs> when we, we were blowing, like, Casemiro, yeah, fantastic performance. Fantastic performance. Dude, that has to be 2-0. You have to square it across accurately. Oh, Ceballos. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Ceballos. Uh, what are you doing? The one where um, there's a three on one. Yeah, Kareem Benzema has it on the outside. Vinny makes a run around him, and instead of using Vinny, he decides to cut in. And I think at the last minute, he passed it to Kamavinga, who blasted it over. But I didn't understand why he didn't just play Vinny right next to him, who had who was on his bike, like getting there. It would have been the perfect Vinny would have just squared it right across goal. And then I think there was one other one too, Vinny had where he cut it and then played it to Benzema, who who tried to cut back and ultimately just didn't get the shot off. But like none of those and or Kamavinga's obviously ended in a shot, but the other three didn't. And those were all late game opportunities to just kill it. And I thought for sure, oh, I was like, oh man, I hope this doesn't come back to Dude, I thought this was gonna be like we were gonna get Real Madrid in. Like I thought. Look, yeah, this is what happened with other teams, right? They weren't able to finish off the game, like that chance off the line for City, and then Liverpool are going to make us pay. But it turns out there's only one Real Madrid, thankfully. But man, dude, that was that was the moment where I was like, all right, I'm shredding like the skin off my face that we can't we can't make these these moments like materialize here. Yeah, and I mean, I thought I think we can move to the subs, and obviously Carlo only made three subs in this game. Kamavinga came in for Fede Valverde, uh, Dani Ceballos for Luka Modric, and Rodrigo for Vinicius Jr. All really late. All Kamavinga was 85th minute, Ceballos 90th, and Rodrigo was 93rd minute. And I actually thought it was perfect. Perfect. Like, perfect timing of the substitutions. Um, I thought it was the right moves. And I honestly, like, credit to Ancelotti. Like, I probably wouldn't have done anything differently i don't know about you but i i I liked it yeah i mean i just talked about like the rodrigo fede thing but once it went one nil up like the calculation changes a little bit and i was pretty comfortable with how carlo managed it because one thing i was scared with is like if he does the same bench mob thing that was something that happened when the game just opened up and it was going to open up but i don't know if i wanted to lean into the chaos that much and i think carlo saw it the same way because otherwise Kroos would have come off, you know, yeah. Fede would have come off and it would have been Rodrigo Kamavinga. And instead he, he, he subs off Fede for Kamavinga. And to me, that was really telling. He wants basically the same dynamic. I mean, Kamavinga is not going to do the same thing, but it was kind of like, you know, energetic ball winner, you know, pseudo winger, you know, midfielder type thing. It was, it was like, he was just trying to replicate that. Right. And so when Carlo did that, I was like, good call. I think it was one of the best calls he's made all season and no one's really going to care because, I don't, it just doesn't feel that consequential, but I thought he read the moment really, really well. And that was one thing where I just did that impromptu space when there was the delay in the final is like, I was talking someone asked me that question. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like there is a possibility we go up first here 
and how does Carlo manage it? I thought he managed it well and, and he, he made the right call. And then I thought it was, you know, Ceballos gave good energy off the bench. Modric deserves some rest. Although Ceballos, man, like you had to, you had to make something in that instance. And then I thought it was a good call to bring Vinny off in the final minutes and let him like soak in what he'd accomplish. Let him soak in the moment. Let the fans applaud this guy because it's not like at that point in time, it was like, we really needed him, right? Rodrigo could have come on and done something similar, probably a better job at that point in time yeah. because Vinny had gassed himself. So I agree with every sub, you know, from one nil onwards, I thought he managed it quite well. And uh, yeah, it is, I don't, I don't really have any complaints. I, I agree. And I think looking back on the season as a whole and where we've ended, I mean, I don't think anybody expected this and uh, Given the Champions League run, I mean, a documentary has to be made about this, a good one. It's got to be like a lights out documentary because the the amount of drama, suspense and just unbelievable heroics that are in each and every game building up to this moment into the final. I mean, it, it deserves it deserves something special. But I want to give uh, like I think we got a shout out Carlo Ancelotti. This has been we had our doubts and we had our criticism. I think a lot of it was fair, Um, but he's managed, especially at the tail end of the season here to build a team and and recognize one of the things we criticized him for was just that there weren't roles for players that, that deserve roles like Kamavinga, like Rodrigo. Um, Now Ceballos who's, who's entered into the mix. Like these guys, Fede Valverde, there was a period where, from I tweeted it out maybe a couple of weeks ago, there was a period from uh, I think it was December to February where he barely played. And so the fact that Ancelotti decided to go and trust his bench, rediscover some of this talent that we have, give them relevant roles, make them feel part of it and build this atmosphere. Like that's one of the best things we've been able to talk about all season. And really at the tail end of the season is just the, the, chemistry of this team and the camaraderie and just you love all of them there's no divas there's no one that is gonna kind of throw a hissy fit if something doesn't go their way like this is a great team great personalities great character and carlos fostered that he's been uh he's been kind of the godfather of it all and like behind the scenes making sure that it all works and managing the team correctly giving these roles and and i think he's done even even with his substitutions, like we haven't, we've called him out in the, in all the Champions League eliminations. We said he's gotten his chance, his substitution spot on, and I think he's he's done a really nice job to end the season. And I, I we get, he's far surpassed my expectations, and so I'm I'm really happy for for Carlo. I think the key for Carlo was figuring out how, how he was going to add something on top of like the main plan, which was like the Gala 11 KCM in field, you know, Vinicius has found a new gear. Now, like what's outside of that. Right. And, you know, a lot of like what, you know, we were talking about is like, you know, is the press going to be fixed? Are we going to like become this, you know, monster systemically? And I think you can always talk about that. I think it it always has its place, even if, and I don't think we were necessarily saying it was going to happen, but that was a lot of where at least I was like, okay, this is where the next level can be attained. And to a certain extent, that wasn't really going to happen. It wasn't that realistic, right? Carlo is who he is as a coach. And the question was, so what can happen outside of that? 
And Carlo found a rotation with the bench that provided exactly what we needed in the Champions League and allowed us to suffer through those moments and then come out on top. And Matt, I think you've said it, I mean, at least once, but probably multiple times, right? You know, like the season changed or the outlook of the season changed for us more in the Champions League because we'd wrapped up La Liga basically by then when Carlo decided to trust key members on his bench. And the way he figured out how to deploy them also really mattered. And in the moments that he decided to deploy them really mattered. And I think that's what the one thing that he really figured out that had a huge impact. I think that's the best thing Carlo has done all season was really understanding, all right, who, who are my key players off the bench that I can rely on? What are their qualities, which is generally something he's been good at. And then deciding, okay, what is the right moment to introduce them into a match and who am I taking off? And Carlo made a call in those knockouts pretty early that, all right, when we're going behind, when the match looks like it's unraveling out of our control, embrace it. We're not rest. That's not who this team is. You know, we're not resting control of it back, put on Fede, put on Kamavinga, put on Rodrigo and put on the guys who can manage it better than the other team and make things happen. And I think he read that correctly. I was it city where I was like, Eduardo was on. I don't remember if you were on Matt. I was like, initially, like, I didn't really feel, you know, taking cross off was great, even though he'd been criticized, but like, I just wanted some control. And then later after, like, um, you know, we got to see what happened. I was like, no, Carlo made the right call because whether I wanted control or not, it wasn't coming. And you had to accept that reality. And Carlo had been really good with that, you know, in the, in the knockouts with the Champions League. And I think the the question now moving forward is Carlo has found specific roles for these players in specific instances coming off the bench, right? Like Kamavinga, you know, we've I, I mean, I've complained timelessly about like, you know, stop playing as a single pivot defensive midfield, blah, blah, blah. But in these specific moments, it hasn't mattered where Kamavinga has come on because the game is so open. Like it doesn't matter. Kamavinga is going to get to do the things he does. And Carlos understood that. And he's just taken off whoever is need to be taken off. Right. And he's like, Kamavinga will do his thing somewhat similar with Fede, but more like restricted to like, okay, you're going to be a defensive winger type thing. And then obviously Rodrigo has a spot on the right wing is okay. We figured out and Carlos figured out this is who these guys are. This is how they contribute in these moments off the bench. I think the challenge going forward, and this is always really tricky because you said correctly, like, I don't want to put, you know, a timeline on Luka Modric, right? But how do we then start to figure out larger, more coherent roles for them within like the main system itself, right? Because the long-term solution is not to play Hamavinga as a single pivot defensive midfielder, at least I think, because those types of environments where he thrived from those types of positions is not going to be like that, right? The role he has to play there is going to be different. Long-term, Fede Valverde probably not going to be relied on as a right winger. So how does Carlo manage that? Like maybe with Fede, it's just always going to be like that, right? And and maybe he has the mentality for that, right? Where he's just he's just going to be who we need him to be. But then there's guys like Kamavinga, Rodrigo with that greater level of potential possibly where it's like, okay, what is the question moving forward? And I think for this season, Carlo solved it. And that's something to think about for next season. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I think the the dynamic that Carlo established was was quite nice. I think it was quite logical, and I think it's the best thing he did this season. Yeah, agreed. And I think it's it's something that we can now build on going into to next season. We'll get a few few more reinforcements. Obviously, Rudiger is coming in, um, and I think it'll be up to guys like Kamavinga, like Valverde, like Rodrigo 
to forge an even bigger role in this team and to to find a way to kind of try and oust some of those veterans and try and oust those guys that are in their positions. Um, so that's what that's what I'm looking forward to next season. I think next season could maybe potentially be more of a, a transition year just because of these younger guys coming through and really earning the right to start. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, but let's, let's maybe wrap up with final thoughts on, on this game. Um, what do you, what do you want to leave the listeners with? Well, we still haven't discussed the bar controversy at all or the stuff that happened outside the stadium. Oh yeah. Um, um, Let's talk about talk about the stuff outside the stadium then, real quick. Okay, yeah. So, man, like really early on, I guess from our side because Eduardo and Keon were on site, we were starting to get stuff filtering through that like the way the stadium you know had been handled for all like those crowds was doing really poorly, right? Like there were few entrance entrances, people were being forced into like these choke points. And it became really clear to the fans outside the stadium that they were not going to be able to get into the stadium on time. And from there, it just unraveled. And they seemed so poorly prepared for the amount of people that would come, which doesn't make any sense because you know exactly the amount of people that are going to show up. And it got to a point where like they started tear gassing fans, like just a horrible situation. Like imagine, you know, you're coming to a Champions League final to see your team play and you get tear gassed, right? Like it, it just- Imagine if you came from like- United States traveled, paid thousands of dollars. Like, oh my God, I can't imagine. I mean, it costs so much money to do these kinds of things. Yeah. Like it, it really does. And, and for that to be your moment, you know, the beginning of your Champions League final experience is ridiculous, right? Like there's no reason it should have come to that. And I think it was really disappointing that, I, look, I, I don't expect any different from UEFA, but their initial statements are like, well, the fans arrived late, which look, dude, it's, it's social media. I think Peter Drury said it, you know, to the start of the game, like you can't hide these things. It's like people are taking pictures and showing you videos and like live streams. We can all see what was happening. And um, I think they were trying to put it on the Liverpool fans. The Liverpool fans were there hours beforehand. The event was just not prepared. Again, I don't understand why to be able to process those amounts of people in an organized and logical manner. And so it, 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 the situation continued to devolve and it got worse and worse. Eventually, I think there's a video of Liverpool fans. Maybe it was both like trying to jump the fence to get inside, like just not stuff that you want to see. Right. And um, apparently like they, there were other people that were like, you know, mischief makers trying to take advantage of the chaos, like pickpockets and stuff. I mean, Eduardo was furious when, when he was like recounting this to us live. I think he said it's the worst, you know, managed final that he's ever been to. And Eduardo is a, to me, he's an old guy. He's an experienced guy. He's been to a lot of places. He's been to a lot of finals. So I trust him on that. Keon was similarly miffed, even though he used less colorful language than Eduardo. Like it just wasn't good. And then I only briefly saw this, but after the final, UEFA put out a statement saying like fake tickets may have contributed to congestion and stuff like that. We'll have to investigate how much of that is the case. But it it's clear that there's an issue here with UEFA. And managing finals, apparently the Europa League final is also a disaster. Apparently in France, there have been issues as well in the past with them holding big tournaments. Like there's a lot of work that needs to happen here to investigate what the hell went on because the final got delayed by like half an hour or more. And that's not except like, this is a disaster. Like I'm so glad Real Madrid won and I'm so happy, but I don't want us to forget about what happened here today because there were probably close to a billion people watching this event. 
the biggest, you know, club sporting event in the world. And it got delayed by 30 minutes and everyone was hearing what was coming through. And, you know, look, I understand it's difficult for, for the guys in the studio, you know, reporting live, but I wasn't too happy to see like Henri, who I like him as an analyst. I agree with you. And Richards, who I also love, cause you know, he's just, he's just a great personality. Wasn't too happy for them to like, just say verbatim what UEFA was saying about the fans. Like I get that the information is just flowing in. It's difficult. Maybe someone who's feeding them that stuff needs to do a better job, but when everyone else can like on social media, see what's going on, I think you can produce a bit because people are relying on you to relay the information. I saw people being misinformed and starting to blame the fans like that. I wasn't too pleased with, but I think Carragher was the only one perhaps because he's has Liverpool sympathies who was like, yeah, maybe it's on UEFA. So the, there needs to be a big investigation into what went on here because this is, this is unacceptable. It's, it's honestly ridiculous. And I don't, I genuinely don't get how this can happen for an event like this just put myself in those shoes and i imagine like if i went all the way out there to try and get to the game the bare minimum you would expect would be to have no issues getting into the game and like getting tear gassed and just oh my god i can't even imagine it's just i would be livid if if that situation happened and all the effort people make to try and to get there to support their team it's just it's unacceptable so i'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad we got to mention that before we um, put our final thoughts out. Uh, but I do want to give you a chance now to, to put your final thoughts out. Um, and we can, Keon and, and Eduardo are going to go do a podcast as well tomorrow. So anything we miss, they'll be sure to, to catch. You want to you leave VAR to them? I don't care, yeah. to be honest. Okay, I, I, okay. I, I don't care. Like, I never like talking about these things. So we'll leave it to them. Um, we won anyway. Like, who gives a shit? Um, <laughs> Final thoughts. What a season, man. Like, I think I still have to fully process it, but what a remarkable season. I guess this is why you always believe, you know, because I, I, going back to my predictions, I think I said Real Madrid Champions League semis. It might've been quarters, but I think I said semis. You can go back and check. We do the round table every year. I said Real Madrid round table out again. I, I definitely said Real Madrid second in the league because I did not, as I said, I did not anticipate Vinicius explosion happening like that. And I thought, man, to repeat this again, just relying on Benzema, it's really tough. And I also probably overestimated how good Atleti will be. And Vinicius changed the entire equation. And from then on, I wasn't surprised about where the league was heading. But I thought at some point, you know, leading up to the final, we were going to be stopped in the Champions League. I was just like, this is this is getting wild. And it didn't happen. And, and maybe it took me too long. But I think walking into well, not walking anywhere, but sitting down and turning on the TV for the final, I think, you know, I finally just sat down and I was like, you know, just embrace it. You know, when I, I think it's easy for a final, right? Just one game left, just enjoy what's coming and just believe, like just enjoy believing. And I think that's something this season has, you know, brought to me, just, just enjoy believing, you know, and I can still do my thing where I go back and I'm, I'm going to do this afterwards because I'm going to produce some content on this and, you know, pick everything apart, really consider what everything means, but enjoy the feeling of what it is like to just hundred percent believe your team's going to come out on top. And I have to say, Matt, when you end up winning, it's not a bad feeling. Yeah, for sure. And I think for me, I'm, I'm just so proud of this team. I'm proud to be a Madridista. I'm proud to, I'm, I'm proud of like what they've achieved, and especially I mentioned it before, like this young guys, 
I'm really, really happy for them because this is the start of their Madrid career. They've already built the foundation now. They've won some of the biggest trophies, and they can go on from here and build their own legacy, just like the the generation before them has has produced the model and showed them how it can be done and to never put limits on what can be achieved because I don't think Luka Modric or Tony Cruz or Benzema ever thought they were going to win five Champions Leagues at Real Madrid, but their hunger is still there, and I'm sure they're going to be just as hungry next season to win their sixth. And so um, just, yeah, soak it in, soak it in, enjoy it. I think sometimes we can move on too quickly from these from these big wins, but this era in this five Champions Leagues in eight years, I can't believe I'm even saying that, but just enjoy it. Like these are these will be things that you tell future generations about, and you said you live through, and for that, it's it's just it's incredible to be saying it. I'm I'm honored and I'm proud of this team, and I'm thankful for for all the listeners and for everyone that's been on this journey with us, on this ride with us, and um, please continue to support us, and we're gonna keep analyzing the hell out of this team out of every single game and uh what a ride it's been and this was one season for the ages for sure so with that oh i appreciate you taking the time man and this is so fun so fun to be able to do this after a champions league final that we won yet again so um thanks man and uh take care Ala madrid Ala madrid All right, before we wrap it up and send you along your way to celebrate even further, we are going to give a shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid who do so much to support the show and get so many rewards, including so much bonus content, which we will be doing a lot this summer over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid exclusively, including big transfer live Zoom calls where we're going to take Q&As and stuff like that. So go over to patreon.com slash managing Madrid, a specific shout out to our $10 plus patrons, because not only do they get guaranteed responses to their questions, but they also get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Way Pairing, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tyler Dixon, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tarek Goktas, Taleb Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala, Sujaiwani, Sumanshu Singh, Shivam Tiwari, Sheikh Hatiri, Shamil, Shabaz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, Samir Z, Said Mahad, Said Sai Mohan, Sasi Kumar, Rishi D, Phoenix, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Odayafari, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicolas Zapatero Zubiare, Nicholas Moller, Nick Ribeiro, Nelson Masariego, uh, Muxith Thengal, Nathan Hermes, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Logan Stahl, Leon, Leon Stavernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Isam Arabi, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Kohut, Frederick Antakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fury Erdman, Ashik Bashar, Armand Gashi, Armando L, Anton Zrudenko, Anirut Singh, Alexis Saniceros, Alex Rose, Al, Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Ramtin Magrur, Fabian Moreno, Daniel Smith. Thank you guys so much for your support. We love you all. Hala Marid, stay safe and we'll see you on the podcast per usual. We're going to be busy.